It's always good to hear what the Lord is doing in the lives of other people. And um, Kathy Flutterer had, um, has had a recent experience that she asked if she could share. And I suspect that probably most of you recognize that this is not Kathy Flutterer. Um, Kathy had it all prepared, and this week their son Jesse, who still lives in their home, uh, tested positive for COVID. So Don and Kathy are quarantining, and uh, Kathy asked Bonnie Donnelly if she would uh, read what Kathy had prepared. Kathy, I'm honored to read this for you. The Lord can direct us by circumstances, but he also can direct us by our stepping out in faith. When we are moving ahead in faith, he can keep the ball rolling, so to speak. We can be less anxious because we are enabling him to work on the spot to our yielded spirit. It has been 30 years since I volunteered at the Women's Pregnancy Center in Pekin and Peoria. Raising a family and health issues have been my focus since then. Now that the kids are grown and I'm feeling a lot better, I reached a point where I could get involved in some type of ministry. The share closet was a thought, but it doesn't seem to be the right fit for me until they can start their new greeter program. And I became friends with Bonnie Donnelly, and she invited me to go along with her and other pro-life supporters to pray and peacefully protest in front of the Planned Parenthood Clinic. At the time, I was open for what the Lord had in mind, even though I felt awkward and doubtful. What would I do there? That day, there were pro-choice supporters on the opposite side of the street from us. Bonnie said this was unusual. While I didn't feel any animosity from those folks at the time, as I stood there, I was moved by the thought that we should love our enemies and care for those who hate us. Something told me I should do something nice for them. I proceeded to walk to the Walgreens a couple blocks away where I purchased boxes of protein bars. I walked back to them and offered them the bars. They talked to me a bit, saying it was kind of me to bring the food as they were staying for a while. One lady had her daughter there, and she told me she had had an abortion when younger. She stated that she wondered if she might have been able to care for that child. Another lady said her mother worked at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in the Chicago area for many years. I told them I was glad they were standing up for their beliefs, even as the pro-life people were standing up for theirs. They thanked me again, and I a few weeks later, I was feeling a burden for the workers inside the Planned Parenthood Clinic. I was asking the Lord for a way to minister to them directly. The Lord answered my prayer by prompting me to write a note specifically for them. What I wrote turned out to be more of a poem than a note. I folded the poem and put it behind a Culver's gift card inside the gift card envelope and put it inside a Christmas card. I wrote a note to the clinic director explaining that as a former healthcare worker, I was sending a gift of love to them. There are 12 workers there, and each a gift card, a Christmas card, and the little poem. 
I previously had called the clinic to tell them that I wanted to send the workers gift cards and asked how to do that. Planned Parenthood doesn't automatically accept packages, but I got permission from someone in charge of donations to send the package to the director. The package was to arrive on December 17th. I don't know what impact the gift card or poem will have on each worker, but trust the Lord to not let his word return void. I'll read to you the poem I wrote. It is a simple story. It was a planned parenthood beginning, ever since time began for mankind, the baby, the father, the mother. And yet it was also a jolt, a disgrace, an impossibility. Or was it? Grief, perplexity, confusion in every way. A girl, barely out of girlhood, pregnant, afraid. Had women walked this way before? Many times, unhappily and unplanned. This was not rape, but it was otherworldly. How to help? No morning after pill, just shame. But just as this child was unseen, unseen help was working silently, otherworldly. One day, regret would turn into happiness. One day, confusion would turn into peace. That day was coming, a birthday. Christmas. May you at Planned Parenthood know you are known, loved, now and all, by the Father in heaven and by Jesus, the planned and unplanned Son of God. Thank you, Bonnie, and uh, thank you, Kathy. Am I on now? Okay. Um, Like I said, it's always inspiring to hear what the Lord is doing in the lives of others, and in this case, you know, what to think about and pray about what the Lord might do uh, in the lives of some of these workers who've received a gift in this message. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we We're glad to be here this morning to just celebrate um, the time that you humbled yourself and came to earth to dwell among us. Would you just uh, prepare our hearts uh, this morning and throughout this day and in all the days to come to um, just be in awe of what you have done for us and to and to live for you in all that we say and do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the fourth in our uh, four-message uh, series on the Advent. The first three focused mainly on the second coming of Christ. Today we're going to focus appropriately on his first coming, which we often call the Incarnation. In the first message on preparation, Don Stuber um, spoke about 
how we don't know when Christ is going to return, but we need to be prepared for it. Then Rick spoke the second week on anticipation. We anticipate his birth, we anticipate his crowning, and we anticipate his Sunday, Doug spoke on joy. Joy is something we choose. The arrival of Jesus brings joy, and joy is a secure gift. Today, we'll focus on the first coming. You know, when I was in high school, we didn't, it was longer ago than I like to think, um, we didn't have these advanced courses that high school students have today. In math, for instance, uh, we did not have uh, calculus or pre-calculus or statistics or any other advanced course as a freshman. I took algebra, geometry, second year, algebra two, third year, and trigonometry, fourth year. So when I got to college, I did pretty well in math. I liked it. And during the orientation days, I had the opportunity to take a test which, if I passed it, would allow me to bypass the standard freshman math course. Well, I passed the test, and they recommended I enroll in a calculus course. Well, we weren't even a week into that course, and I knew I was in trouble. Uh, I could not understand what they were trying to do in calculus. And I have to understand to learn. Uh, just memorizing uh, might get me through some things, but it really doesn't uh, help me very much. Well, I eventually did understand it, and in that little story, uh, understanding was important. I had to have understanding in order to uh, be able to pass that course. But you know, by contrast, in our spiritual lives, belief does not require understanding. And this is our big idea for today. If you don't remember anything else I said, hopefully you can remember this, that belief does not require understanding. Let's start with a definition of incarnation. Embodiment in a person of a spirit or um, a deity or some abstract quality. In other words, it's a situation where a person, a human person, might be indwelt by some kind of a god or some kind of a spirit. Biblically, of course, it has to do with when God came to earth in a human body as Jesus Christ. Incarnation is a mysterious thing. We can't fully comprehend it. How the living God took on flesh to be like us and live here among us, and that's impossible for us to completely understand. But in spite of that, we accept it by faith. We accept that it did happen, and we celebrate, and we praise God and thank Him for it. In addition to this um, truth of the Incarnation, a lot of our lives as Christians, uh, there are things that are hard for us to understand and involve living by faith. And in order to, to do that, let me suggest that we need to know two things. First, know that we're not going to understand everything. Uh, 
In Deuteronomy 29, 29, we read, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So we know that God has planned that we are not going to understand everything. And I've put a couple other New Testament references up there that you can look up later if you're interested. The second thing that we need to know is we must know that God's Word is true. Again, there's some references up there, and I'm not going to spend any time on this. I'm assuming I don't have to persuade this crowd that God's Word. But we need to know that. And I think we can see that these two things have to go together. When we biblically cannot understand something, what do we do? How do we deal with that? We have to accept, first of all, that we will not understand everything. And then we have to believe that God's word is true and accept what it says by faith. When we do that, we're doing what the Bible calls living by faith. And I want to get back uh, to that in a few minutes. But first of all, let's talk a little bit more about the incarnation. What do we know about it? Uh, three things we'll talk about. It was died. Uh, the bolded words in these uh, phrases, I guess they're yellow up there. Um, I did that to emphasize that um, Jesus Christ was God. So in Isaiah 9, 6, we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Secondly, we know that the Incarnation was acknowledged by Christ. In John 20, 28, we read that Thomas answered him, that's Jesus, my Lord and my God. 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. A third thing we know about the Incarnation is that it was proclaimed. In John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So why do I say that the incarnation is mysterious? Probably there are many reasons, but <clears throat> let me suggest two. Number one, the virgin birth. A virgin becoming pregnant? How can that be? That goes against all that we know about human reproduction. But the Bible tells us that it was by the Holy Spirit. We can't understand that. We can't understand how that can happen. But we believe it because God said that's what happened. The second thing that makes the incarnation mysterious is the deity and humanity of Christ. The Bible tells us that Christ was fully human and fully divine. Our learning, our reasoning and understanding tells us that a whole is made up of what? Two halves. Not the case here. Christ was 100% man, 100% God. I would suggest that we can't get our, quite get our minds around that one either. So why then do we believe that Christ was born of a virgin? that he was fully human and he was fully God. 
Why do we celebrate his birth? Why are we here this morning? Why do we give gifts to one another to symbolize God's giving to us the greatest gift of all? We believe these things because God's word says they are true and because we accept and understand everything. We're to expect that and live by faith. We are blessed by it and we benefit from it. C.S. Lewis, in his little book, Mere Christianity, when he's talking about our not understanding everything in the Christian life, gives the example that a man does not have to understand all the details of the digestive process in order to be able to enjoy and benefit from his meals. As Jesus told Thomas in John 20, 29, because you have seen me, have you believed? So are they who did not see and yet believed. Belief does not require understanding. Celebrating the incarnation is just one of the many ways that we live by faith. I want to get back to that, uh, or I said we'd get back to that living by faith. And so let's look at a few minutes. I'm, gonna, I'm going to... Uh, say, if you will, that uh, there are two kinds of faith. Saving faith, and secondly, the faith by which we live. Saving faith happens at a moment in time when we recognize our sin, we recognize our need for a Savior, that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and we confess our sin and our need, and we ask Him to come into our lives and to save us. The moment we do that, several things happen. Christ does come in and dwells within us. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells within us. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. We become a new creature. We're crucified with Christ, and we're resurrected with him to a new life happens at a point in time. Do we understand that fully? No. But we believe it because God says it. The second kind of faith, is you, if you will then, is the faith by which we live. So after that moment, when we are saved by faith, living by faith is what we do for the rest of our earthly lives. And sometimes that process is called progressive sanctification. And it's by faith, again, because we don't understand everything. And living by faith is when we don't understand. But that's okay, because belief does not require understanding. In addition to the incarnation... Let's look for a few minutes at four other biblical truths that we don't fully understand. There are many more, but we'll just look at four this morning. These are things that are very familiar to us, especially if we've been Christians for a long time. We often don't think about them. I mean, we don't think about the fact that we don't fully understand them. We just accept them by faith. And we live according. 
which is exactly what we should do. But I'd like us to consider how much we live by faith in regard to these things so that we can consider how we can better live by faith in other areas of our lives where maybe it's not so easy. So the first thing is our death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. In Romans 6, verses 4 and 5, we read this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. How are we united with him in death and buried with him and then resurrected with him? It's not something we can really understand, is it? Charles Spurgeon says this, and I quote, The Christian's life is a matchless riddle. No man of the world can comprehend it. Even the believer himself cannot understand it. Dead, yet alive. Crucified with Christ, and yet at the same time risen with Christ. In newness of life. Impossible to fully understand, but true. A second thing that's hard to understand is our seat in heaven. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 we read, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So here again is that fact of our being resurrected with him. And not only that, but we're seated with him in the heavenly places. That's pretty amazing. How can that happen? We read at the end of chapter 1 in Ephesians that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then these verses that we just read in chapter 2 tell us that we are seated there with him. But we're walking around here on earth. How can we be seated in heaven? I can't understand that. And my guess is that you probably can't eat, but we believe it because God says that it's true. And belief does not require understanding. A third example, we're told as believers that we have Christ living within us. Galatians 2.20a, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Colossians 1.27 To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So not only was Christ and fully divine, he now lives within each one of us who are believers in him. I know I'm being repetitious, but these things are important. We need to know them and not forget them. This truth of Christ living in me as a believer has great significance 
for how I live my life. And it does for you, too. And finally, a fourth example, very similar to the third one, is that we have the Holy Spirit living within each one of us who are believers in Christ. I won't read <clears throat> these verses that are listed. 1 Corinthians 16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19 both tell us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Again, hard for us to understand, but true. So why are we talking about these things? Because these things are facts that are foundational to our Christian life, and we need to know them. But more importantly, my prayer is that we can get a glimpse into the greatness of our God and what he has done for us. He came to earth in a miraculously astoundingly miraculous event where the Almighty God came, was born as a baby, lived among us in the flesh, fully God in a fully human body. And that was just the beginning. We can say with the psalmist, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Belief does not require understanding. I said earlier I wanted us to consider how much we live by faith in regard to these truths that we've been talking about and then encourage us to better live by faith in our daily Bruce Wilkinson in his teaching on the testing of your faith points out that we as believers should deal with adversity or times when we're having difficulties or struggles, times when our faith is being tested that we should deal with that in three steps. The first is to remember God's faithfulness in the past. Secondly, we consider what he's doing right now to provide for us. And thirdly, we rest on his promises for the future and that he will continue to be faithful. I can tell you from experience that we fall down in all three of those steps. We forget what God's done in the past. We let our present circumstances obscure what God is doing in the present. And we fail to rest on his promises for the future. So again, why a message like this on Christmas? Because these things we've been considering all began with the Incarnation. It was God coming down to earth and living a human that provides for the atonement of our sins, for our old nature to have died, for our new nature to have been raised up with him, and for us to have Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living within us and giving us the power to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I've been thinking recently of my present situation, and it kind of occurred to me I'm, I may be in the middle of a three-year phase here. Now, it may turn out to be longer than three years, but as I was thinking about in terms of three years, you know, 2019 was the year of eight. 
and the year that I lost my helpmeet of almost 53 years. 2020, you've all joined me in that one. It's the year of the coronavirus. We've all been affected by that. For me, there's been a great blessing in that, and that's because Mark and Kathy and the boys were prevented from going back to Indonesia, which they would have done six months ago. But because of that, they've been here with me the whole year. And so I've not really had to be alone yet. But in 2021, that's going to be the case. Uh, I will be alone, really, for the first time. And um, that's a little scary. Uh, but my prayer is that, that I can, again, remember what God's done in the past, remember what he's been doing now, this year, and rest in the promise that he is going to continue to take care of me. Sunday, Tim and the music team led us in the song, Emmanuel. And as we were singing that, it struck me in a way that it never had before. Think of the words to that chorus with me. Yeah. Emmanuel, our God is with us. And if God is with us, who could stand against us? Our God is with us, Emmanuel. As we were singing that, I just had to close my eyes and stop singing and think about those words. You know, they're neat words. It's, it's a beautiful tune. But the thought that occurred to me was that I need to personalize those words like this. Emmanuel, God is with me. And if God is with me, who could stand against me? My God is with me, Emmanuel. Here's another quote from Spurgeon. It is not enough for me to know that he made peace for the world. I want to know whether he made peace for me. It is of little concern to me that he has made a covenant. I want to know whether he has made a covenant with me. End of quote. And as I stand up here, I'm fully aware I'm not the only one in difficult situations. Every one of us struggles in some way or another. And especially now, this year, with the um, virus and what we've been through in the last year. But could I just encourage us that whatever our difficulty might be, to never forget the great truth that God entered this earth as a baby and grew to be a man and lived among us so that we, even today, can say, whatever our circumstances, my God is with me, Emmanuel. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. We thank you that we can believe it, even though we can't understand everything. 
We are thankful that you came to earth in the body of Jesus. And we're thankful that you are with us yet today. And again, as we go from here, may we be encouraged, each one of us, and be able to say, my God is with me. And we thank you, and we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.